KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It is not uncommon for kids to come into kindergarten with different skill sets. Some might know how to write their names, others might be able to put on their shoes and zipper their coats. But after the pandemic, teachers saw huge changes. We see this vast difference in the skills that children come in with, so it makes it really challenging to get them all on the same page and start teaching on day one. Dr. Amy E. Ketchum is a pediatric occupational therapist and assistant professor at Cedar Crest College in Allentown. She says that these changes in skill sets are only one part of getting kids ready for kindergarten. There's also the financial part of it. We're missing a lot of children that are low income, but maybe don't fall below that poverty threshold. In addition to that, we are in a crisis with child care providers. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In Depth, we talk about the importance of kindergarten readiness, what policies should be put in place to help families get the early education they need, and we also have some tips on how parents can help their children learn at home. Has the importance of kindergarten been, for lack of a better term, watered down at all just because of the prevalence now of like pre-K three, pre-K four, where where kids are getting into the school system a, a little earlier? Yeah, I would say that preschool education bolsters the importance of kindergarten because the purpose of preschool education is to put additional foundational skills in place so that children start kindergarten on an even playing field with all the rest of the children and with the skills necessary to learn. So when we look at getting children ready for kindergarten, what are kind of the the top level things parents need to know? Yeah, that's a great question. I love that you asked that. There's a lot of skills that children need to come prepared with to come into kindergarten. And we all know sort of the ABCs and the one, two, threes, and that it's important that they know some letters and numbers and can spell their name, some simple math skills, understanding some science concepts, which is getting more and more important with the importance of early STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. But what we're really looking for in addition to all of those more academic skills is what I would call sort of the soft skills or just the ability to take turns, for example, respecting others, being able to handle transitions easily, either transitioning from the school bus to the classroom or from from recess back into the classroom, for example, knowing the difference between right and wrong understanding that their actions have an impact on others and really even building like a sense of empathy in children and understanding that other people have feelings and that their actions could impact other people's feelings. We see this in the classroom, in the kindergarten classroom with children sort of being able to stand in a line and walk with other children, being able to respect other children's space and stay in their own space. Things like that, that that are really harder to teach because children have to learn these things through experiences and they have to have experiences in social situations to learn a lot of these more soft skills, or we might call this the social emotional part of learning. And preschool is what is really so great to learn these skills because it gives children opportunities to interact with other children and learn these sort of 
interactive soft skills. And that's what, when we don't have preschool and we don't have things like story time at the library, which is what occurred during the pandemic, we had so many children not getting any social interaction at all. They weren't even going out to the grocery store. We're still seeing a lot of that. So we're seeing children coming into kindergarten lacking a lot of these skills that are so necessary to be able to sit and learn. And I guess one of the offshoots of that is your average kindergarten teacher or teaching staff. I know a lot of kindergarten, you know, they have an aide and such. You're spending so much time putting out fires, for lack of a better term, telling this person, sit down, don't play with that, that the learning almost becomes secondary, just trying to get everybody in in position to learn, right? Yep, absolutely. And the interesting thing about kindergarten, and this has always been the case, but the pandemic has absolutely exacerbated this. Children come into kindergarten with such highly variable skill sets. We have children come into kindergarten that are fluently reading a book from front to back. And we have other children coming into kindergarten who have never held a book and don't know the front of the book from the back of the book. So we see this vast difference in the skills that children come in with. So it makes it really challenging to get them all on the same page and start teaching on day one. Giving children those skills coming into kindergarten so that they're ready to learn and they know some simple tools like scissors and glue sticks and are able to hold their pencils and maybe even put on their own shoes and zipper their own coat and things like that is definitely going to make them better learners. So when it comes to getting kids ready for kindergarten, obviously a lot of that weight falls on parents or family, you know, whoever's raising the child. But this this also is something, it's community, it's government policy. Like there's a lot more that goes into this than maybe people think at initial thought, no? A hundred percent. It starts with the parents. Parents, of course, are children's first teachers. And a lot of it does fall on the shoulders of the parents. In addition to that, there's a lot we can be doing as far as policy to really help families to support the children coming into kindergarten. Prior to the pandemic, 60% of American children started kindergarten without the skills necessary to learn. Um, I'm not sure we know the statistic now, post-COVID, what that what that number is, but I know anecdotally, it's it's probably more than 60% because these children are coming in without that enrichment that they might have had before. Um, so one thing policy could really do would be to subsidize preschool for all children. If we had mandated preschool, we could ensure that they would start their K through 12 education with more of those foundational skills in place. And it would really help with making everything more equitable for all children, because we know that children that come from marginalized and less advantaged neighborhoods don't have the advantages, you know, and the enriching experience that more affluent children have. So obviously they're coming in behind the eight ball as well. Of course, we have Head Start, which is a wonderful program, and it makes a tremendous impact on the families that can be involved in Head Start and early Head Start. It helps not just the child, but the whole family, but they have to qualify for Head Start services, which is based on their income. And actually only 11% of eligible families are participating in Head Start or early Head Start. Um, the eligibility is based on poverty guidelines and we're missing a lot of children that are, are low income, but maybe don't fall below that poverty threshold. In addition to that, we are in a crisis with childcare providers. 
the average childcare provider makes, I think, $12 or $13 per hour, which puts almost half of the whole industry of childcare providers on public assistance. So not having that workforce, that highly educated workforce to work with these children during the most critical time in their developmental period is really affecting child's kindergarten readiness and academics throughout. And since we know that children who start kindergarten behind have a higher likelihood of not graduating from high school, we know that we're doing a detriment to them lifelong. So really putting that first, making sure that we're paying those really critical workers what they should be paid to do that important work. Um, I think that is, is really, really important too. The expanded childcare credit made a huge difference for babies and families. And I would say we need to reinstate that permanently because that brought a lot of people out of poverty, which, which benefits a child immediately. Additionally, babies need to bond with their caregivers to form a strong attachment before they can even start learning about their world. So we really need policymakers to support paid family and medical leave for moms and dads as well. That is another area that could definitely support children in their readiness to learn. Additionally, we need policymakers to support Child Care for Working Families Act to make sure that all families have access to high quality, affordable child care. And again, making sure that early educators get that compensation that they need. To that point, I don't want to kind of get off the kindergarten track too much, but one of the things there seems to be a disconnect to me as a layman, because I agree with you, child care workers making, not making enough and having to be on public assistance and they're taking care of the future and it seems bonkers. But then on the other end, it's insanely expensive to put your kid into child care to the point where I know firsthand a lot of people who decided a spouse just should stop working and stay home to take care of the kid because basically that second salary would just go to child care. So what's happening here? What is that disconnect where these people aren't making money, but you've almost got to take out a second mortgage to to pay for the child care? And I don't say I'm not saying this tongue in cheek. Like it, it doesn't seem to make any sense. And I've never heard anybody really connect the dots. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a huge disconnect. It is prohibitively expensive for some families, and that's because, frankly, the business model of early childhood education and childcare simply doesn't work. Because children need a ratio of babies and infants need one caregiver per four babies. The ratio doesn't get much better as children get older. It's very regulated for the safety of the children as it needs to be. So the overhead of running a childcare center, an early childhood education center, is Number one, we want qualified, educated individuals. So they have to be college educated. So they need to have a salary that is reflects that education. Number two, we have a very high ratio of how many employees need to work in those spaces to fully adequately care for those children. It's not like a restaurant or McDonald's where one employee could service hundreds of customers per day. So we have those high ratios. And also there's a tremendous overhead in running a center from, you know, 5 a.m. until 7, 8 o'clock at night in a lot of cases. So, you know, things we don't think about, such as the bookkeeping and the tech and the snow removal for the parking lot and all of those overhead expenses make it really difficult for this business model to work. And that's why we're one of the only wealthy countries that doesn't subsidize 
childcare, every other country sees that this business model doesn't work and they invest in that to help the families during that time when, you know, families usually with young children aren't making a lot of money yet. So, so childcare is oftentimes higher than their rent or mortgage. So yeah, it's a business model that simply doesn't work and it, it needs, we need policymakers to make changes there. So past that, looking at kindergarten, taking the 30,000 foot view, what do we get right and what do we get wrong? Yeah, I'm seeing a greater and greater emphasis on kindergarten readiness, which is wonderful. There's some schools using Title IV funding that they're allocating for kindergarten readiness, where they're doing really creative things like bringing families onto the school um, grounds as the children are babies and young children for events such as story time with the principal, or they're having the, the high school football players read stories to the children on the football field under the lights and things like that, where they're encouraging families to bring their children to school early, start to understand the importance of education, and also start to teach them the importance of reading to their children starting to instill that love of reading and literacy, which is so critically important. When we read to children, talk to children, sing to children, we're giving them the vocabulary that will eventually be their own vocabulary. So it's really important that we continue to teach you know, families and continue to encourage that sort of thing. So I'm seeing a lot of exciting things that that school districts, K through 12 schools are doing that are bringing children on younger and younger and really investing in early childhood. There's schools that run programs for birth to five so that they're starting to instill that love of learning and also educating the parents on what skills the children need to know. So they're giving out information on these are the kindergarten standards that we expect children to have when they get here. So here's some activities and things to do to get these children on point. Um, so schools that invest in those programs that actually give the parents resources to work with the children are 10 steps ahead and those children are coming in better prepared. So I'm seeing a lot of that, which is wonderful. Seeing parents really educate themselves more, really thinking more about the early STEM. How can they ask their children questions that will stimulate critical thinking so that they will be prepared for that early science, technology, engineering, and math. So there's really great and exciting things happening because the data is telling us how critical this period of time is. I think we still have a lot of work to do in supporting families. I think it's really hard for parents, for some families to pay for preschool on their own or to get quality childcare and know that education and learning is happening when the child is at childcare versus you know, just staying with a neighbor where perhaps they're sitting in front of a screen all day long. So we really have to be better at supporting young families so that the children are getting what they need before they get on that school bus the first day. We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Amy Ketchum right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation about the importance of kindergarten readiness for children with Dr. Amy E. Ketchum, a pediatric occupational therapist and assistant professor at Cedarcrest College in Allentown. Coming back to the idea of the need for, you know, policy to subsidize, do you feel like, and once again, talking in broad strokes, I don't want to get you know, political or partisan, but do you feel like for the most part, more and more politicos are understanding the importance of 
these policies and, and how far this money can go? Or is that still an uphill battle? I would say that there is a lot of data out there. So we certainly have good information to educate our policymakers' decisions. We have seen some block grants and we have seen some progress in that area. We've also seen a lot of big policies get rejected. So it, it's been a little bit frustrating the past couple years. The uh, zero to three is a policy network that is doing amazing work to get the word out there, the NAEYC, the National Association for the Education of Young Children is doing amazing work. Um, they recently had a Hill Day where, where I participated in that and we went and spoke to our legislators, senators, so forth, and told them exactly what we need for childcare. There's definitely a huge initiative to get that information out there to the policymakers. And it's it continues to be an uphill battle for sure. So kind of coming back to just the basic skills, like if a parent's listening to this and wanted to kind of dig into this more, what are some things that parents, caregivers, brothers, older brothers, older sisters, like what are things they can do? I mean, you've talked about reading to children, singing with children, but what are some other things that can be done just at the kitchen table or on the couch that can have a lot more impact than maybe they might think? Yeah, I would say just giving the children as many experiences as possible is so important. Just thinking about how as children learn by what they take in from the world is when they're building those connections in their brain. And the stronger, the, the more often they get that repetition, the stronger those connections. For literacy, of course, reading, talking, singing, but also pointing out letters everywhere you see them, driving down the road, seeing letters on signs and letters on billboards and on the sides of buses, talking about the letters. Can you find the letters of your name? What does that what does that word start with? What is that letter? What does that sound like? You know, constantly talking about that, sitting at the breakfast table, looking at the cereal box, circling the letters that are in your name on the cereal box, thinking about how we talk to children to get them to think and engage more. Um, before I cut this apple in half, what color do you think it's gonna be on the inside? And talking about how that's a hypothesis. You made a guess, let's test your hypothesis and see if it's correct. And then maybe you take that a step further and document your what your findings are through drawing pictures and coloring them and incorporating motor components, getting as much outdoor play. Again, the motor skills, playing in parks and hiking and, and things like that. There's opportunities to learn in every single day in how we structure our interactions with children. So we don't have to sit down at a table and do flashcards, but thinking about how there's so many opportunities for teaching as we go through our day. Parents can educate themselves on what is required for kindergarten just by stopping by their local elementary school and saying, can you please give me the requirements for kindergarten so they could get that in advance and find out, you know, specifically children should be able to count to 20, identify numbers up to 10 and so forth if they want those specifics. But I would say just keep giving children those experiences as much as possible. I mean, there's there's opportunities even at the grocery store. When I go into a grocery store and see a child sitting in the cart staring at a pad or the parent's phone, instead of comparing the textures of the apple and the orange or trying to find all the letters as they shop or even giving the child a list or having the child engaged in cutting out coupons and find this box of cereal. There's just so many opportunities that we can be encouraging children to learn from the world every day. 
That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.